Well, hello and welcome once again to A Functional Approach with Dr. Jim Cheltis. I am Dr. Jim Cheltis, and I wanted to talk today about fasting. It's a topic that uh, I've kind of wanted to get to for a while, and um, here we are. So um, it's not a small topic, and I'm going to do my best in a short amount of time that I have. Um, but it kind of goes in line, really, with past concepts that we've discussed. For example, like putting yourself into a deliberate cold exposure environment, like a ice bath or cryotherapy or sitting in the 180 to 190 degree sauna for 20 minutes, you know, for that deliberate heat exposure. Um, now these are inherently stressful experiences on a body. Yes. Um, you know, it, it's a struggle to be in them. Oftentimes it takes effort. It takes, you know, a lot of willpower to say you're going to do something and then follow through with it. Um, fasting is really no different than that. It, you know, it, it, it works in this kind of hormesis type, you know, category of, of effect on our body. And, and by hormesis, it's, it's that notion of purposefully engaging in, in measured, you know, stressful experiences like hot or cold or fasting and, and putting the body under some degree of stress because the body will then rebound and have a net positive gain, right? So that's why we do these things. Why on earth would you ever want to skip a meal if you're hungry? Or why on earth would you ever want to sit in a cold ice bath and torture yourself for three minutes? Well, because the benefits outweigh the temporary discomfort. That's why. Uh, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> it's, a, it's one of those things that is very foreign and very, you know, difficult to comprehend until you find yourself doing them for a while and you start to get used to that and you start to recognize, you know what, I do feel better. I do feel better. My wife actually, this is a little aside on the cold therapy thing. My wife has a friend and um, he did like a 30 day challenge for himself where he was going to do an ice bath every 30 day, every day for 30 days. And, um, and he has felt so good as a result. He said his sleep quality has improved, which he tracks with a little tracker device. Um, he feels better. He recovers quicker, has less body pain. And she asked him, um, are you going to continue? And he said, uh, yeah, I'm going to probably do this the rest of my life. <laughs> so that's literally sitting in a bucket of ice. Um, not easy at first, but something you, you work into. The same can be said for fasting. Now, is this even safe, right? I mean, that, that's step one. That's uh, step one. There's a lot of pushback, you know, out there about the notion of, of being in calorie deficit. And in some cases, that is absolutely valid. Um, absolutely. If, if somebody is already going into a situation like fasting with when they're grossly underweight, um, specifically if they have disordered eating patterns, you know, the, this can be a very dangerous thing to, to do. Uh, it's something I have to be very careful with with some of my patients who usually come outright and say it. I have a history of disordered eating. And what they mean by that is possibly bulimia, possibly anorexia, um, usually something that happened in their teenage years and now they're in their 30s, but it's still there. So it is worth noting that when you start to mess with your diet dramatically, you know, it, it can act as a trigger for past behaviors, past traumas, perhaps. Um, and, and that's just something to be very, very cautious about, right? We have to weigh the risks to benefits of everything, right? But 
Having said that, in large part, human beings, in fact, pretty much all animals out there, are designed to go stretches of time between meals. If we are hunter-gatherers, it might be three to four days to a week until you actually hook up with that next kill and you have like some considerable protein to add to your diet, right? And you might gorge on that protein for a day or two because, hey, if you don't eat it quick, it's going to go bad. So, um, you know, we're designed for that too at times. Um, so there is, you know, very low risk of of certain types of fasting, especially most types of fasting. And I'll get into the different lengths of time and different strategies in a minute. But um, but just just consider that our body can burn glucose. That's our primary fuel, but it can also burn ketones. Ketones come from fat. I did a podcast on ketosis. Um, and there's a difference between getting yourself into a nutritional ketosis by, you know, cutting carbs and eating tons of fat. Um, versus you know like more of a starvation ketosis which is what you do when your food runs out and you're stranded somewhere on an island with nothing to eat for a couple days and then you start to have to burn out of your fat reserves right you will enter into ketosis for that so our bodies do very well in ketosis uh, we are you know sure it's a it's a starvation concept but in the short term there's no danger there if anything there's been plenty of benefits shown to do that. Um, so you might feel like you're dying. You might feel like you, you know, are making a horrible mistake. Um, oftentimes people do become, you know, physically kind of ill. You know, they, they go through, some people just call it like a keto flu or maybe a detox reaction or whatever. It's usually that period of time when somebody's switching from their glucose metabolism into their fat burning metabolism in a fasting state right which is like a controlled starvation and their their machinery hasn't really quite caught up yet and so there's a lag time and, and the systems kind of falter a little bit um, the good news is for those people who take this on as a lifestyle the more you do it the more frequently your body gets into these ketosis states from fasting or otherwise or nutritional if you're just wanting to do that um, the quicker it remembers how to do it next time. So you don't tend to have that issue, right? Um, the best thing you can do for that phase is, well, two things possibly. One, just make sure you're getting in plenty of water and plenty of electrolytes. So go out and get some element sticks, you know, the um, LMNT is just a common um, company. I'm not a sponsor, although I'd be happy if they were. Um, just electrolyte replacement, sodium, potassium, magnesium, because you're not getting that from your diet if you're fasting. So you want to keep your electrolytes up. That's going to help you feel better. Uh, you can also get ketones, just, you know, powdered ketones. They're kind of salty. They're ketone salts. They try to make them taste like chocolate or whatever else. I think they're gross, but they can be a difference. They can be giving you a little bit of that extra ketone support as you're switching over. And then you can just have that smoother energy. So there's tricks. If you do something like ketones, um, supplement supplemental ketones, you're not throwing yourself out of a fast. You can actually take them throughout the course of your fast to give yourself that next level of energy and just bump you up a little bit. Um, so I, I think that covers it. I mean, the kind of fasting that I'm talking about today is not harmful. We are designed for it. And not only are we designed for it, our bodies thrive on it. 
and I'm going to get into some of the, the actual benefits at the end here. But before I do that, I want to just categorize a few things. These days, we hear a lot more about intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting, and, and that means a lot of different things. Um, there's no one way to do an intermittent fast. There's not just one hallmark plan. It just literally means you're eating less frequently than you normally would. If you, if you consider a typical three meal a day kind of a diet plan, plus some snacks, plus dessert, right? plus the sodas, plus all this and that, that just sends a sneak in, right? Um, so an intermittent fast just kind of pairs that down a little bit. It's, um, it, it could be something as simple as, I'm going to take, there's a, there's a plan called a 5-2 plan. So I'm going to take two days out of my week, out of my seven-day week, and I'm going to eat much, much less food. I'm going to almost fast on those days. I'm going to eat no more than five or 600 calories worth of food. And I'm going to do that for a full 24 hours, two times a week. And I'm going to eat completely normally and behave totally normally the other five days of the week. Um, I don't see this as common, honestly, anymore. Um, I can say uh, that my parents did this um, years ago. Hi, mom. I know you're listening. Um, and both of them, they, you know, they did it as a partnership, and it was it's helpful when you're going through things like this to have a buddy because uh, they're they're going to be eating waffles or something next to you, and that's not cool. So they did this plan together. Um, this is a time as well when my father's health was not fantastic. I mean, you know, he, he had some some issues of his own, and and both of them noticed that they did lose some weight, but things like vision seemed to get a little bit better. I, I loved that. That was really fascinating to me. Uh, I remember I think my father said that, that, that actually he felt like his vision kind of improved when they were doing that kind of thing. And I think just general inflammation kind of went down. So that was a really interesting um, thing for me to see. And uh, they did that for quite some time. So that's one way. Maybe that's the way it works for you. You're just going to cut out a couple days a week and just eat like a monk and just be very, you know, just, very, very paltry about what you're putting in, um, try to make it clean, try to, you know, veggies, that kind of thing, and just really give your day, you know, that break from digesting what you normally have to digest. You might find benefits in that approach. Um, a typical intermittent fast, though. <clears throat> so that first one would be like intermittent within the week. Like, like what time frame are we talking about? Out of a seven-day period, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt it by two days, right? So maybe that's a Monday and a Thursday or something. But typically, intermittent fasting has to do with a 24-hour period. So it, it doesn't begin, a fasting state doesn't really begin until you reach about 12 hours. About 12 hours with zero food at all. And if you think about it, if you think about your own life and your own diet, you know, you might have that last snack or that dessert somewhere around 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night possibly, and then you're up at 7 eating breakfast. Right? So that's definitely less than a 12-hour fast. We never actually get into a fasting state most of the time until your doctor says, I need you to do a fasting test, and then you grumble, and everybody's standing in line all grumpy because we're not used to fasting. Right? It's not a normal thing. So a 12-hour fast and a 12-hour feed, you know, it's kind of gross to sound like farm animals or something, but that feeding cycle, right? When are you allowed to put food into your body? And that doesn't have to be at any particular time. So a 12-12, that's how you would get started. 
If you've never fasted before, that's how you start because you don't want to go from I'm eating like a cow all day long, um, which I admittedly do myself at times, um, to I'm going to go on a 24-hour fast. Right? You're almost guaranteed to feel like garbage if that happens. So be kind to yourself. Understand the physiology needs some encouragement, you know, gentle encouragement. And uh, a good 12-12 might be a good place to start. Hey, if that feels good, if you're doing that for a week or two and everything's feeling real groovy, then try 14, you know, it, up it by two hours, even one hour if you want, but maybe it's a 14 hour, um, you know, and the gold standard, I think really is a 16 and eight. That's kind of the, the gold standard. I think that's what most people tend to do where they aren't eating anything for 16 whole hours. So maybe that means they're starting, they're skipping breakfast. For breakfast, you know, you're welcome to have a cup of tea or you're welcome to have a cup of coffee, but those drinks can't have cream, they can't have sugar, right? Um, they can only have the, the coffee or tea. Um, that caffeine will also help suppress appetite and give you a little lift um, that, that can get you through that moment. So um, another actually pretty common one if somebody's a little bit more hardcore about their intermittent fast is they're doing an 18 hour fast. 18 hour and six hours. So really they're not eating until like, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon or so. Um, and then they're having some kind of a snack usually to break that fast. And then they'll usually have like a good dinner. So they're almost eating like one meal a day. In fact, that is another um, kind of a fasting concept. Uh, there's a million one of these things. So, you know, some people just do the one meal a day concept and that, that would qualify as like that, you know, that That'd be more like a, a 20, 23 hour fast, I suppose. Um, but anything up to a full day, you know, is considered in that intermittent fast, you know, concept. Um, I've done them. Um, I know lots of people who do them and thrive. Okay. Uh, I will talk about some of the people who shouldn't do that also before I uh, get into the benefits of it. I, I will get into that. Um, but if you've never done anything like this, I encourage it. I encourage it. You will know if you're one of the people that I'm going to talk about in a minute who just can't tolerate fasting, your body will tell you real, real fast that that's going on. You will crash. You'll have headaches possibly. Um, you know, you'll just be brain foggy. Um, your body won't function great. So I don't recommend starting this, you know, kind of a thing for the first time, you know, on a Monday when you have to go to work and there's a deadlines and, you know, you have a meeting that day. Don't do that. Do it on a Saturday when you have a couple days to just chill out. Um, but start with a 12-12. You won't fall apart with that, most likely. Now, that gets us to a full day. You're going to take a full day. I've done it. I've done it several times. Um, I've done it in two different ways. I've done it where I eat breakfast, a big fat breakfast, and then nothing again till breakfast the next day. And I've done it where I eat dinner nice dinner and I don't eat dinner until the next day. Um, you just do whatever works for you. I found that the dinner meal works best for me because that way I go to sleep normal. I, I sleep well, I have a meal in me, I'm feeling good and then I wake up and I start some coffee maybe and I start drinking water and I start doing you know my day it starts to, to go and I find that I I personally am less distracted when I do it that way versus 
breakfast, I work through my day, and then I burn up all my blood sugar, and then everybody's eating dinner, and I'm, I'm jealous and upset. And then I try to go to sleep hungry with a growly tummy, and I may or may not get good sleep, and then I wake up the next morning and have some food. <laughs> That's I've done that. I don't, I don't prefer it. Uh, but, you know, whatever works for you. A 24-hour fast is really where some of the more significant benefits start to show up. Right? And you can extend that to 48 hours. You can extend that to 72 hours, right? So three days is really the money. It's, it's really the sweet spot when you're talking about a lot of the benefits that come from fasting. And I'm not talking about weight loss. I mean, a lot of times people do intermittent fasting for a caloric concept. They are like, I need to cut weight. I'm cutting calories now. Um, sure, that might be a benefit. That might be a side benefit. Um, it's not even one that I'm thinking of, but that, that is that is a benefit. Uh, I find weight loss to be a, a side effect of a lot of other things that are happening well, and then the body will, will tend to let weight go. But um, when you're fasting for you know 72 hours, you're not typically doing it for weight loss. Um, it can absolutely impact your weight, not just from a caloric concept. All of this can. Uh, it really impacts your weight and other problems that, that somebody might have because it's helping reset things like blood sugar, you know, and, and insulin resistance mechanisms that might be really, at, you know, out of hand at that point uh, or, or kind of approaching out of hand. Maybe that smoldery insulin resistance that nobody's really figured out yet. Um, you have the power all by yourself to figure that out. Um, so you start with an intermittent fast, you know, you, you work up to maybe a 24-hour fast, and then you can go on to three. I will be honest. I will be open and transparent with you. I have never done longer than 24 hours. I know a lot of people who do, and I, to be quite honest, I'm just chicken to do it. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I, I will. It is in my plan. I, everything I tell people to do, I typically do myself, so I, at least I have that experience. What I've been told is that the first day is kind of all right. You get through it. You know, maybe, you know, you're ready for it after that. If you're at that 24-hour mark and you're getting into your second day, that second day is hard. Okay, that second day is the struggle. It really is the struggle. That's the day you're going to have to pull um, all your willpower out of your pockets and, and spend it all and just stick with the plan because that's something you committed to. There are neurological benefits to creating a challenging task and sticking with it, even when every cell in your body is telling you no. There's benefits to that. Um, it has to do with dopamine and motivation and drive for life outside of diets. It has to do with how well you're going to perform at work and at home and all that business, right? Long-term planning. People that force themselves to do things that they don't find themselves wanting to do while they're doing them, but successfully do them anyways, build a part of their brain that helps them in other parts of their life. So there is that, right? And it helps us identify our, our addictions, uh, which I have and we all have them, right? So um, the third day apparently is easy. At that point, you're in a ketosis state. Ketones tend to be appetite suppressive. It's a natural way that our bodies have evolved, I suppose, to deal with long times between meals, right? It doesn't benefit us to be all 
destroyed and upset if we're if we're hungry because that's not going to help us go out and fight and get our food and hunt and all that business and collect berries if you're that kind of a person too so we need to have stability and we need to have clarity and that's what ketones do for our brain so apparently it's that first you know day maybe the definitely the second day and then once you're on the third full day it's my understanding by multiple people that it's it's a kind of a breeze from there you're kind of in it so the magic really does happen at that like 48 to 72 hour time frame uh, not many of us can get there there are certainly religious practices that that have people all over the world doing this even longer um, you know there are health benefits for it there's resets there's programs that, that put you through this um, I personally based on what I've learned don't recommend any longer than three days because after three days you also start to burn muscle you start to lose muscle mass and there's there's health and longevity benefits to keeping your muscles intact um, so it would be way better to do a 72-hour fast wait a week and do another 72-hour fast and do those every so often maybe in series maybe you did that for four weeks in a row Right? You would get some significant benefits uh, from that, probably in the short term that you notice and um, absolutely in the long term that maybe you don't even notice right now, but you would realize later in your older life. Um, there's one little quick story that um, I wanted to say here that uh, I have a friend from college. Uh, her name is Wonia. She has, I'm going to plug her, um, her website here. Uh, she has a company called Buckskin Revolution. She is a uh, primitive living skills expert. She uh, has been on the show alone, um, season six, and, and she was up in the Arctic Circle in winter, lasted 72 days, 73 maybe, I forget, um, with nothing but 10 items that she was allowed to bring and that's it. Nobody else saw her for that many times, except for some med checks. Um, and then she was on another episode that took place over on the eastern, I think it was in Labrador region of Canada, also very harsh environments, very cold, um, lasted a very, very long time. The first one, though, she lasted, I think it was 73 days in the Arctic winter, basically. Um, food was scarce. She had to um, go long periods of time. And over that period of time, she lost a third of her body weight. Um, she's open about all this. It's on her website, it's on her YouTube channel. Um, check it out. It's very fascinating. She is a, a amazing woman. Um, but you know, she's a kind of a shorter woman. I think, I think she lost something like, you know, 40 something pounds, maybe even 50 pounds. I think she went in there a little heavy knowing she was going to go through a starvation. So I think she lost at least close to 50 pounds. Right. And she shared with me that leading into that for a couple years beforehand, she had a really kind of a, a nagging chronic Achilles tendonitis. So her Achilles tendon in her ankle was chronically inflamed and she lives out on the land and hikes and does all that stuff. And it was, you know, limiting, but she got through it. Well, after recovering from the starvation and, and she experienced true starvation, right? She, her life would have been in peril had she not, you know, left the show when she did. Uh, what happened was she cannibalized her own damaged tissue okay so she healed herself i don't recommend losing third year body weight please don't get me wrong i'm using it as an example which i find fascinating um she ate up all the damaged tissue because 
when the body is in a fasting state and it has no calories and it's not registering protein intake, it needs to start to use it somehow. And so it knows it can start to register old cells, damaged cells, damaged tissue, sick ones, right? And it's going to target those first. So those cells in her Achilles tendon got eaten, right? It kept her alive while she, while she tried to find her next, you know, snow shoe hair or something like that that she had to snare. <laughs> what, a, what a cool show. Anyways, um, so when she rebuilt herself, and this is a person who didn't rebound and start eating Snickers bars and fast food hamburgers, she lives the life. She farms organic vegetables. She eats a lot of wild game meat and wild organ meat, organ game meat. Um, this is how she chose a lot of bone broths. You know, she'll get a deer and she'll make bone broth and that becomes a daily part of her regimen. So she rebuilt herself from a, a, the ground up with just nothing but just high, high nutrient density. So this, that's extreme. In a, in a lighter um, way of thinking, this is what we're doing when we're fasting, right? We're telling our bodies to get rid of the old stuff and, and start to regenerate, right? Um, I will say very quickly who shouldn't be doing this, in my opinion, and then I'll get into all the benefits and we'll, we'll wrap it up. So we've talked about adrenal. There's a podcast episode I did on the adrenals. Uh, I think I said something like, so you have adrenal fatigue, question mark, or something like that. Um, go back and listen to that one if you haven't. Um, but when somebody is not able to stabilize their blood sugar because their adrenal hormone cortisol is not being produced at appropriate levels, meaning they're dipping throughout their day, or maybe they're just chronically low. And there's a lot of different reasons why that can happen. But if that is the case for that person, then when they go into a fasting state, they don't have the benefit of this ability to liberate stored sugars. And they, they tend to be what we call a reactive hypoglycemic. It's not full-blown pathological hypoglycemia. Those people are already in the hospitals with an IV bag. Reactive hypoglycemia, or we might even just call it functional hypoglycemia, are just people that can't stabilize the sugar well in between meals. And I do know people that that interval of time is two hours. I had a patient just the other day that said, I have to eat every two hours. Right? So they're prepared for that. They, they kind of have learned to live their life by just keeping a little bag of nuts or some jerky or some veggie sticks or whatever it is around so that they have a snack between breakfast and lunch, lunch and dinner, and before bed and that kind of business, right? If that's you, don't intermittent fast and don't do a 24-hour fast. You will fall apart and it won't be worth it. <laughs> so first things first, repair that. Get yourself up to speed in that respect. Um, the only other people I mentioned in the beginning were people that have a history of disordered eating. It's not that they can't do it. It's just that they should proceed with caution, you know, and maybe some support, emotional support if they need that. Um, other than that, boy, there's really, I suppose if you're an unstable diabetic, you know, and you're insulin dependent, you need to be very, very careful because if you're not eating enough calories and you inject a little bit too much insulin, that could be a life-threatening experience. So if you are a diabetic, especially insulin dependent, you absolutely must do something like this with extreme oversight uh, of very, very competent medical professionals. Okay, that, that 
I should have come out first with that one because those people can die. Okay. The rest of us, no, we're not going to die. We're just going to feel uncomfortable. And we're going to fall apart and be like, oh, that sucked. And that was a bad idea. I'm going to go have a piece of pizza now. Right. So just do it on a day where you don't have to go to the board meeting or make any big decisions. Just make it a rest day. Uh, other than that, have at it. I recommend starting with a 12-12 if you're going to intermittent fast. If you have ever done ketosis, nutritional ketosis, where you put yourself into that state by cutting carbs almost down to nothing, um, only eating you know fibrous vegetables, small amounts of protein, and lots and lots of fat, like healthy fats, you know, ideally, um, olive oils, coconut oils. You can have some animal fats, of course, uh, but not like a bunch of deep fried fats and that kind of stuff. If you get what I mean. Um, if you can do that first, if you can take a, if you can take four or five days, snap yourself into nutritional ketosis and then enter a fast, you're going to have a much better success. You're going to have a much easier time because your body already understands, Oh, we're burning fat now. Okay. So as soon as they don't have the calories anymore, they're going to go, I know where there's fat. I'm going to find it right on my booty or right on my belly or wherever under my chin in all those places that we don't want it. Right. And so it's going to have that conversion just happen really, really fast. So clinical pearl, a little professional tip. If you know how to get into ketosis, I've done a podcast on it and I'm here for you if you need. Uh, do that first. Give yourself three or four, maybe five days. Get yourself stable into ketosis and then enter into your fast. And then you can do that on and off for as long as you like, really. Uh, okay. So why, why, Dr. Jim, why on earth would we be doing this? Well, I'm going to list several. I'm going to list maybe six or seven reasons, um, and they are by no means the only reasons. There are more, more than this, but you know what? You have to stop it somewhere. Um, number one, and something I see just across the board all the time, I don't care why you're here in my clinic, um, is blood sugar. So many of us just go through life in this sort of smoldery insulin resistance mechanism. If you haven't listened to the HOMA score on blood sugar, um, H-O-M-A, go back and listen because this is what I mean. There's, there's a lot of cases where you have normal, quote unquote, blood sugar on your basic panel, but then you do this special calculation called a HOMA score and actually there's lurking insulin resistance. All right? I was one of those people with a fairly fit body, you know, pretty active back in the day. Uh, and I was above the range where I was technically insulin resistant, right? Just a little bit. Um, I didn't want that. Nothing good comes from that. So if that's you, uh, or if you know you have blood sugar elevations, fasting can help your, your body regenerate new insulin receptors, right? So an insulin resistant person has too much blood sugar around, too much insulin all the time, bombarding the cells and bombarding those insulin receptors on the cells, Every cell in your body has insulin receptors. And so over time, the cell's like, oh, dear God, and it just starts to pull away. It's like, oh, we're too much, too much stimulation. It's almost like when you're at a concert and your ears, like you come home and you can't hear very well. Same concept. A mechanism in your, in your ears had to like shut that stuff down too loud. <laughs> so same thing happens. So when you fast, the body's like, hey, what happened to all my blood sugar and insulin? You got it. Hello? And so it starts to make new insulin receptors, brand new ones that are sensitive and ready. And so the next time they meet insulin, boom, the doors open and glucose comes flooding into the cell where it belongs to be made into 
fuel, right? So this is a, an approach that can be taken along with other things to repair blood sugar disorders. Be careful if it's diabetes. Mark my words. Okay, but um, short of that, it, it, this can do wonders. This can be the one thing that helps unlock the system, right? Uh, avoiding garbage and big gulps and all that stuff too, of course. Right? Um, okay, so another thing is, I kind of mentioned earlier with my friend Wonia, you know, she, she um, autophagized, is that a real word? Autophagy, auto, self, phagy means to destroy, to break, to cut right, in Latin. So autophagy just means to do that to your own tissue, to break down old tissue. We need to do that. Um, in our cells, uh, you know, if, if proteins start to aggregate and, and fill up the cells, the cell stops functioning. If it's a brain cell, we get things like Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease, depending on the types of proteins and what cells are clogged. So going through bouts of fasting helps us with that autophagy concept um, and and just you know helping the proteins not clump and aggregate and, and clog up the works and what happens is, is there's a there's a gene called mTOR lowercase m t o r mTOR um, plenty of research out there on mTOR and um, it helps repress that gene so that's what leads to this concept of autophagy it helps to you know you don't want high expression of mTOR so um, yes, you are, you are uh, with the cold exposure and the heat exposure and the fasting, all types of that, um, you know, kind of controlled stress physiology. It activates genes. It works on the genetic level. It's expressing genes. Um, that's, that's a, a huge concept, right? Makes sense. It's how we evolved, right? To, to endure things like this. And so, yes, we're going to respond by activating or turning off certain genes. So mTOR is a big one. Um, it also helps with things like tumor suppression, interestingly. So, um, you know, if you do this fasting, we're all worried about cancer. We all have it in our family somewhere. Um, you want to do this regularly. If you can and you can start to suppress I don't know the gene for that one but you can start suppressing that uh, along the concepts of the you know the regeneration of receptors and even like the breaking down of old tissue I've, I've discussed in the past about these little organelles an organelle is like an organ of a cell right you have your organs like your liver and your kidney well a cell has its own organs and they're called organelles a primary one is a mitochondria the mitochondria is the powerhouse of, of each cell. Every cell has a bunch of mitochondria in them. Um, things like chronic fatigue happen when the mitochondria become old and weak and don't function very well. They can't make the energy anymore. So chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, you end up with these pain syndromes because the, the cells just aren't thriving, right? Um, so you want to increase the number and the quality of the mitochondria. And you have to do that by breaking down mitochondria, the old busted ones. So mitophagy, right? Autophagy and mitophagy. Mitophagy is just specific to the mitochondria. Um, so anything you can do to do that, fantastic. Fasting is one of the best ways to do that. There is no supplement. There is no drug that helps you remodel your mitochondria. There are certain supplements that help you turn up the mitochondria function. But if they're old and busted, 
good luck with that. You need to use the cell and you need to do these fasting things so that they, they're forced. They're forced to, to break down the old and create the new. Uh, so that's a big deal. How many people complain of fibromyalgia and, and uh, chronic fatigue, right? We, we need that. Or how, how about somebody who's struggling to recover from COVID, long haul COVID? If they don't have mitochondrial function, they don't have recovery. Same thing for any number of viral infections. Same thing for recovering from cancer and chemotherapy. Um, those types of things are going to kill your mitochondria. <laughs> There's nothing good about chemotherapy except for it can save your life, but it is highly, highly toxic and um, will damage you sometimes permanently. Um, but I tell you what, if you have good mitochondrial function, those cells will recover faster and they'll have more resilience while going through that experience. So, uh, you know, I don't know what to say about that. Just comfort kills. I guess that's it. My wife always rolls her eyes when I say that comfort kills, but it kind of does it make yourself uncomfortable. You within reason and you will become stronger and, and live longer and live healthier as a result. Okay. Now uh, there's anti-inflammatory concepts. How many, how many diseases are inflammatory driven? Almost all of them, um, specifically autoimmunity and, and cardiovascular disease and cancers and neurological decline and all manners of um, mental emotional disharmonies and depression, anxiety, all inflammatory. Okay, um, getting back to the to the the genetic, you know, concepts here. There is a gene called NERF NRF dash two NERF two, uh, kind of like NERF balls you're going to throw. Um, Fasting tends to turn up nerf 2 and you want that. You want to increase anti-inflammatory responses from the body. Remember I mentioned if you exercise correctly, you're going to have an inflammatory reaction to the exercise, but the body's going to go, oh, and then it's going to bump up this big anti-inflammatory cascade as a result, hopefully larger than the inflammation you just created, right? That's that's speaks to overtraining or, or not overtraining. So um, exercise will also do this with nerf 2 by the way, but but fasting certainly does. So increasing inflammation, anti-inflammation um, is key here. Um, you can also improve general stress resiliency, right? So when stress comes into the body, I'm cold, I'm hungry, I'm hot, I'm not sleeping, um, my boss is yelling at me and my partner is being mean to me all at the same time and my kids, they don't like me. That's emotional stress. Like, you know, there's a million different kinds. It, microbial, you have chronic infections. How, how does the body rebound how does the body manage all those overlapping layers of stress right well there are genes for that too that just kind of help turn on mechanisms in the cells that just make them more resilient yes stress is here we all have it am i going to falter as a result of that stress or am i going to be okay that's what we're speaking of the sirtuins s-i-r-t certs sirtuins have a lot to do with that fasting increases sirtuins right this is the same concept. If you're going into an ice bath all the time, you're going to improve your cold resiliency and you're going to have a ton of downstream benefits, which we discussed in my, my podcast on that. Um, so fasting will increase overall stress resiliency. Very important. Very, very important. Um, okay. And then lastly, um, there, there are other genes that upregulate. Upregulation is kind of turn on. Uh, AMPK. AMPK is one, um, and AMP kinase is a little enzyme that comes from that. And 
it turns up this kinase, this little enzyme activity, which helps regulate cellular energy, right? And it also helps the repair and recovery of tissues. This is another one, the AMP and the CERTs, the sirtuins, um, highly linked with blood sugar issues. So if you have a blood sugar imbalance, if you're high insulin resistant, um, you know, pretty much everything that I just discussed is going to go wrong. Fasting is the opposite of all that. It's going to benefit every single thing I just mentioned. You add to that hot and cold exposure and exercise and a healthy diet, and then you can start clicking off the number of medications that you're going to need. I don't know how any better way to put it, right? You know, you can't just stop medications once you're on them, but hey, I'm 48, I'm on zero, okay? Um, I don't say that to brag. I, I, I don't mean to push anything in anybody's faces. Um, I have three at least known autoimmune mechanisms in my body um, with, you know, two transplants in my family uh, and type 1 diabetes in my family and multiple sclerosis in my family. I, I have an open opportunity to go down that road, right? Oh, I also got Hashimoto's thyroiditis right, in my family and hypothyroidism and obesity, right? So, yes, I'm walking the walk. Yes, I am. <laughs> because, hey, if I don't, then no one's going to tell me to do it, you know, certainly at my doctor's office. But um, it's not hard, all right? It's hard to fast, but once you get into it, you can you can do it. You might even find some some meditative spiritual benefits on top of it, right? Because I think having control over one's life is a spiritual undertaking, right? This is the physiology I just described, but I'm going to sprinkle it with a little bit of spirituality because it's important. It's important to have that, that connection with something greater. Maybe you don't feel very connected with your food in any other way than just this codependent, unhealthy relationship of make me feel better, cupcake, right? I do that. I know I do that sometimes. I just need that little change in my attitude. Oh, I bet you that little piece of candy will change my attitude. Yes, it will, temporarily. But what if I go without food for 24 hours? What if I go without food for 72 hours? And I really feel into that experience. And then the first meal I eat is a nice piece of salmon with some, you know, sauteed greens and some, some rice, right? And I sit with that food for a moment and I appreciate it. I appreciate the life of the salmon. Yes, call me woo-woo, but you know what? That's where health comes from. It comes from not only nutrients, but it comes from that appreciation and that connection with what gives us life. And I feel there's no better way to get there than to go without for, for a short period of time. A little reset, right? Okay, that's it. I hope that that was helpful. I hope that was interesting. Um, this is one of many tools at your disposal, free of charge. In fact, this is the cheapest medical intervention that there is on the planet because you actually don't have to spend money on normal living. So it's actually in your benefit financially to fast. <laughs> you can just forget the cost of the food that day and, uh, and drink some water and get some salts, right? And if you want to spend some money, maybe some ketone salts to get, supplement your, your experience so you don't crash if it's something you're not used to. So. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Once again, my name is Dr. Jim Chaltis, and this is A Functional Approach. Happy fasting, everybody. Bye-bye.